0: Hello, thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. So we are in week three of our community series. I know last week, uh, if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, uh, Laura gave a very powerful word and just uh, encourage you guys to go back and watch that. Uh, just talked about idols in our life, you know, and just those things that sometimes we put in that place of, of God, and, you know, she use that passage of Scripture where, you know, uh, the idol came crumbling down, and its hands got knocked off, and its head got knocked off, and just, you know, that nothing could stand in the presence of the Lord, so just uh, want to, if you didn't listen to it, take a, take a moment and... Uh, check it out. So today we're on week three of our community series. So the title of today's message is, You Were Built for More. Now I know a lot of us, sometimes we settle, right? You know, the older you get, the less energy and effort you want to sometimes exert in your life. You just want it to be easy. You want it to be convenient. Sometimes we don't like to rock the boat too much, right? You know, when we're young and we're adventurous, we're okay. We're going to rock that boat as much as we can without tipping the boat over, right? So have you ever thought of the question, I am built or made this statement, I am built for more than this. You know, what causes you to get out of bed every day? Now, I know for me, a lot of times it was like, all right, I love my wife. I love my kids. Kick your feet out. I need some coffee. Help me survive the day, Lord. All right, here we go again. You know, you get in, you know, you get in that habit of just going through the motions, you know, but, you know, what what causes you to get out of bed every day? What causes you to uh, conquer the day? So many of us sometimes, uh, many of you are discontent with life and maybe just settling for mediocre. Now, I'm not saying you'd say, oh, yeah, that's me, but I'm asking you this morning, evaluate yourself, you know, are we just settling for mediocre, Okay. So we'll sometimes settle for less because, you know, we believe that there's nothing more out there for us or we've become overwhelmed with failings of the past. How many of you have ever failed miserably at something? Did you excitingly just immediately say, oh, let's try that again? Most of us are like, oh, I ain't doing that again. You know, most of us, we shrink back from failure rather than just knowing that failure is a part of the process in growth. Okay. You know, I always tease the team. I said, if we're not failing, we're not trying. You know, if there's not obstacles, if there's not new things every single week that we're working through, maybe we're not doing enough or we've gotten so comfortable uh, just being passive, right? You know, so, so failings of the past sometimes can af- affect us. So you, may, you know, may have feelings of frustration or discontent in your lives, sometimes because you're not living out your specific, unique purpose that God has given you. And I think that's a lot of it. Sometimes we have yet to tap into what God has built us for. So when I say this morning, you were built for more, you were built for something very specific in God's master plan here on the earth. You know, I know when we're younger, we feel like we we, we will live forever. We have so much time, and the older we get, the more precious we see that time is. It begins to speed up and it, as we progress forward, you know, and, and, and then we can't slow it down. So it's so important that in those moments that you discover your purpose as early as possible and you do what you were created to do in this lifetime. There's no time to waste, said everybody my age and older, because we realize it is so fragile and it's so short. You know, I can't believe that my son is nine and stretching... Out. You know, like I just see it unraveling and, and the years are flying by and I can't slow it down. Right? Our time is so precious. So we have to understand that the, the real Christian life was never intended to be boring or dull. Okay? So whoever believed that, that lie that said, Oh, when you become a Christian, it's just going to be boring. You're not going to have fun. It's just going to be the worst decision ever. Right? You know, we talked about... I remember, Growing up, that was always the thing. You're like, man, Christians are boring. I was like, well, if you look at it from the wrong perspective, it's boring. But there's so many benefits to it. So how many of you have ever heard of greyhound races? You've either seen them or you've either went to a race or you've heard about the race. So, you know, if you've never seen one of those, these big, beautiful dogs, they chase after this this bunny. So at launch, they're in their the little chutes and then they open and then they take off and they chase it around the track in an effort to capture... The, the, the bunny bot, right? So there's the story of this one time in this race right prior to letting them loose that the bunny bot exploded. So they begin to release the dogs and immediately the dogs run out, but there is nothing to chase. So what happens immediately in that situation? You know, some one just stops, he sits down, he takes a nap. The other one freaks out, runs through a fence and almost hurts himself. The other ones start barking and howling and, and looking at the spectators. You know, and I'm sure some of, the, some of the owners were running to get the dogs because there was mass confusion. Okay, so we have to realize that in this race, do you realize that none of these dogs finished the race? So what was the difference between them finishing the race and not finishing the race, there was nothing to chase. When you remove the chase and you remove the pursuit of something great, very rarely will you ever accomplish all that God has called you to. We have to know the purpose for which we run. We have to have a purpose. If we remove uh, the, 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 the thing that we are chasing after, we will very rarely, if ever, accomplish and fulfill the race. So we have to know what we are chasing or pursuing. The pursuit comes from our understanding of our purpose according to God's specific plan. So some of you say, no, I don't know what to do. I don't know what God has called me to do. I don't know what God has called me to be. Well, how much of the word have you read? Because there is so much, so much guidance as we, as we flip through the pages of this word that gives us so much instruction into what God has called us to do and what God has called us to be. But sometimes we don't realize that that book was written specifically for you and I. It wasn't just for the preachers. It wasn't just for the teachers. So the second most important thing in your life besides receiving salvation, I believe, is is, is knowing your purpose and living that out in your life. You have a purpose, but sometimes it's difficult to access it. You have to unlock it within you. So God has gifted each one of us with special gifts to bless others, and to bring satisfaction to our lives. You know, so it's locked up in there, but we just have to release that out of us. By design, God had a specific plan. He gave you, he gave you gifts. He gave you abilities. He gave you a skill set to be effective in this life. But some of us don't realize that. Some of us may go way back and say, well, well, Pastor Noe, I was an accident. I wasn't even planned. My parents didn't want me. They didn't love me. They didn't teach me anything. Do you think that that totally removes God's still specific plan for your life, or he still uses those awkward situations to still accomplish his perfect will and purpose in your life. That's how he makes a masterpiece out of our lives. You know, there are some of us that look at, that had the, you know, ideal, you know, growing up process of a, of a mother and a father, and then you have some that with absent fathers, you, you have some, you know, maybe you lost your par- parents early where it wasn't ideal and it was difficult, it was hard. And we say, what do we do in that situation? Do we just give up? Do we just stop? Is it all over? But I believe that God begins to take up the slack and he meets those voids and he still calls us to purpose and potential every single time. Just because it's hard doesn't mean that it's impossible. But when there's those voids, we have to cling to to the cross. We have to cling, cling to God's plan for us. And we have to even be more intentional of the what we chase and what we pursue. Because there will be things in our lives sometimes that the devil will want us to chase. That waste all our time and waste all of our effort. You know, I was watching this other video. Go back to that greyhound story one time. It was, another, I guess it was another one. So they took off running out of the chute. These actually ran for a while. They got about three quarters of the lap and they just kind of slowed down. And they're like, what are we doing? So then they stop and one kind of looks this way. one, And then one turns and starts running the other way and the other ones look and say, oh, they're running that way. So they run the opposite direction. Just follow the leader of chaos. You know, nobody nobody knew what was going on. But if we learn in what we are pursuing and what we are chasing and we teach others to chase the same thing, we'll begin to see the potential and calling of God fulfilled in many people's lives. It's not just about what I'm pursuing, but what are you pursuing? What has God called you to? As if God has called me to pastor, then I need to pastor well. But if God hasn't called you to pastor a church, then you don't need to worry about pastoring a church well. But what is it that God has called you specifically to? The sooner you find that and you access that and you release that within you, the more you will be satisfied and plugged into exactly what God has for you. Because you were built for more. Ephesians 1.18, it says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance for the saints. Ephesians 4, 7, and then I'm going to look at verses 11 through 13. That's Ephesians 4, 7, 11 through 13. It says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So that word grace, that is a special gift or a specific purpose that God has given us. It is he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. In verse 12, to prepare God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach the unity of the faith in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. If you're taking notes, write that verse down, Ephesians 4, 7. And then 11 through 13, and go back and read that and chew on that a little bit. It'll, it'll wreck your life. It will show you things in your life. that you say, man, I didn't realize all that. That's God's heart towards us. You know, so lately I've been really evaluating the way our church does church. You know, how do we, why do we do what we do? Are, we, are what we're doing getting the results that we want? You guys probably hear that statement from my mouth all the time. But, you know, the system we build is built to get certain results. But when we're not getting the results we want, we must look at the system in place. Okay? So I want to show you guys a quick little video clip. So when I was in Tennessee, they had this machine. It was a taffy machine, and I want to show you how this thing works uh, because I really think that it'll hit home with what I'm trying to talk about. How many of you have ever seen one of those machines like that? Who have never seen one of those machines? Man, then you've never been in the taffy place close to heaven. Man, when I go, you know, but they have that machine there. And and the most, I mean, I can sit there and watch it all day because it has been fine-tuned to work Perfectly. You know, I think, what happens if you put something in wrong? You put the, so, so what it's doing, it's pulling the taffy, it's rolling the taffy, it's cutting the taffy, it's sending it through a chute, it's wrapping it, twisting it, and then it throws it into your magic bucket of glory where it comes out ready to eat. I mean, whoever came up with the engineering is amazing. But you talk about something that has been built specifically by design to accomplish a specific purpose, and that's to make Pastor Noe super happy with fresh taffy. Right. You know, you just but you see something by design that, you know, would it be cool if all of us were taffy machines? Well, no. But I thank God that somebody is one. Right. So so we look we look at these different things and this is a unique thing you will not see. Most of you in this room said you've never seen one. Just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. But God is raising up gifts and talents and abilities in a specific purpose that might not fit the mold of anybody else. Yeah, he's called some to be preachers and pastors and evangelists and prophets and apostles, all of these things, but there are still specific things that God is calling us to be. Because each of us, really, we were built for more. So the church is a system that's been established by God to cause the believers in Christ to thrive and to grow, okay? So really, we know the church has been built around Sunday mornings, but what if there was more to the picture than just Sundays, and what if there was more, you know, to what real life as a follower of Christ should be? So, so this was my train of thought as I was thinking through all this. Then I had a thought. Okay, you guys just stick with me because we're going to go through this thing that God really unraveled to me and showed me as far as the church dynamic of what I believe God is, is modeling or wants the church to be modeled after. Okay, so, my, so this was my first thought. What if we remove Sunday mornings from the equation? What would we need in our lives to keep a healthy church community and a personal relationship with the Lord? Now, some of you are like, man, I don't know. All I know is Sunday mornings. That's always been the main focus. You Think about it. If you've been involved in the life of the church, you've been involved in Sunday mornings. It's a byproduct of who we are, of what we do. It is just a week, you know, every single week thing. So uh, as I unravel some of this, when I talk about discipleship, because we talked about discipleships being moved into homes, there are things that I believe we need to focus on as a church that are just normal things that we do that always are a, are a byproduct of who we are as a Christian and as a church. You know, we think about the, the, just the staples of Christianity, the things we always do. Um, you know, one of the biggest questions that I've had concerning life groups, you know, everybody asks me, well, how long are we going to do them? And I said, well, how long are we going to keep doing this Sunday morning thing? That's never been on the question. Be like, hey, how many more Sundays are we going to meet? It's kind of getting old, guys. I just don't want to do it anymore. It's just a byproduct of who we are, right? So what if we shifted our mentality to where life groups, home groups, fellowship, all of these things that I'm about to unravel to you are just a part of the picture of what it's always supposed to be like. And we weren't so concerned with starting and stopping as much as just living a life that reflects these categories that I'm about to share with you. So as we go through this, I want you guys to to be thinking like that. So I believe that there are five areas that I am convinced that are critical to a healthy church uh, community culture. So I'm going to call this the community circle. And here's what these five are. They're, They're broken down by personal devotion, Sunday mornings, fellowship, discipleship, and outreach. Now, I got to all five by removing Sunday mornings from the equation and saying, what would we need in our lives to still be healthy if we did not have Sunday mornings? Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying we are going to stop having Sunday mornings, but to really focus on the other areas that are just as important to our spiritual walk, you know, in our in our community as a church, it helped me to clarify those a little bit. So, number one, personal devotion. And as I, as I begin to think of how important are these in in this in this equation, um, it, it's going to be 40%. Elizabeth, can you fit to screen on all of those? I didn't realize that that bottom was going to be cut off. So, that devotion is 40%. Now, some of you say, why is it 40% versus, you'll see the other ones, they're 15% of the, of, the, of the pie chart. Without personal devotion, every single other area will fail. You realize that? You cannot come on a Sunday morning and expect that to meet all your needs if you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord throughout the week. So, as we look at this, what happens on Monday through Sunday affects Sunday mornings, now some of you are dying throughout the week and we come back in and we boom, we put you back on life support and we pump you back to life and then you go back out and you're dying again. You know, so so as we look at this picture, personal devotion is super critical and super important. So our personal devotion life is the most important part of our life. That if we don't have a strong devotional time with the Lord, every other part will suffer. 2 Timothy 1:6 through 7. It says, "For this reason I remind you to fan the, the flame of the gift of god which is in you through the laying on of my hands for god did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear but a spirit of power of love and self-discipline so here you see in this passage it says that you fan into flame it doesn't say let god do it or you know let let the holy spirit do it or let the sunday morning really pump you up and do, and do it it says that you do it you fan into flame you bring the wood you fan the flame so that your relationship with the lord will burn bright like a burning fire it's up to you guys. You know, it's not even Pastor Noe being up here saying, all right, come on, you can do it. You know, like, you got to make that choice. I don't, I don't know if any of you, like, my dog, I remember when he was little, little but big, and he did not want to walk. And if your dog at least weighs 50 pounds, and he lays on the ground, and you're trying to bring him with a leash, how well does that work? I mean, I can do it. but will strangle him, Right? I can do it, but how much better is it if that dog decides to get up and walk? Because that's how it's supposed to work. you got to decide to walk and move forward. Don't make me as a pastor grab you and say, Morgan, come here and help him." we're dragging you because you don't want to move. You don't want to put effort and time into your personal devotion time with the Lord. This area is the most critical in your life. James 4.8, it says, Come near to God and he will come near to you. Now, some of us like that scripture, and you hear me say it often, but what is the, what's the prerequisite of that passage? The passage starts off with your response in initiating the pursuit relationship with God, but God is waiting on you to move. He says, you draw near to me, then I will draw near to you. It doesn't say, sit there on the couch, hang out, get, get your bag of potato chips, and I'm going to come meet with you. No, it says, you make the pursuit. You get up, you move your feet, you put the work in, and then God will meet you where you're at. So personal devotion, you know, and I'm not doing this, I'm not saying these things to be mean. I'm just shaking, I'm trying to shake you up a little bit this morning. Because if your personal devotion time with the Lord is not strong, it's going to affect every area of your life. It's going to affect your Sunday mornings. I know as a pastor and being a worship leader and things like that, I'm just going to be real and honest with you for a minute. I feel like there's times where the worship team grabs a hold of that leash and we're dragging people because they're not ready. They haven't had a week that has been saturated by the presence of God. But that's not our responsibility. Why do we, why do we take that upon ourselves sometimes to do that? Because I think we've gotten in a place of, in culture where we survive on Sunday mornings, but we don't, we don't survive and we don't thrive by all of these other areas. So that's why I think all of these other parts of this pie are really, really important. Okay, so we don't replace personal devotion for Sunday morning services either. Okay, so uh, we do meet with God, and and we should be experiencing His powerful presence on Sunday mornings. But we should be experiencing His powerful presence in our lives every single day. All right, so think about it. Personal devotion time. You know, let's let's use the comparison of eating. I was talking to Grace. We, we went camping this week and we were sitting there and I know she didn't want to listen to me, but I was like, hey, do you want to listen to daddy go through his message? You know, because I, I notice when I say it out loud, I, I hear the stuff that sounds dumb or doesn't work together or I fix it real quick, right? She's like, yeah, daddy. And I was like, she doesn't want to listen, but she's going to listen. So I, so I got to this point and I asked her, I said, if you're a normal person, you know, how often do you eat? What do you think she says? Every day, daddy. Even my daughter knows you should eat every single day. You know, so what if you only ate once a week? You know, how hungry would you actually be at the end of that week? Now, I know we just came out of a season of fasting and different things like that. And if you fasted all week, man, thank God for God's grace in your life. Right? It's a difficult thing when we begin to starve our bodies. But what would happen, you know, if we did this on a regular basis? I'm not talking just a season of fasting, but I'm talking a lifestyle of starving yourself. So if we starve ourselves every single day for a long period of time, do you know that you know, it is super, it's actually really, really unhealthy, and it actually causes the body to begin to shut down. And then it also can cause serious health issues. It's that serious. So what, what if we use this illustration and we think about it, what if we, would, if we, if we wouldn't starve ourselves and we wouldn't nourish ourselves instead? So if we starve ourselves from our personal devotion time, do you know that if you do that long term, it will cause spiritual death? Just like physical death, it would cause spiritual death in your life. So this isn't just a Sunday thing, but this is a daily thing. Let's look at, let's look at Sunday mornings real quick because that is a part of the chart. Sunday mornings, 15%. So when I talk about Sunday mornings, we are specifically talking about our weekly corporate gathering of all the saints, the people of God, when we come together, all of us, okay? Um, so, you know, if you've been a part of, of church for long enough, you know Sunday mornings are a big thing. It is what we do. Every church has a corporate gathering that I know of. I mean, there may be some that have a little bit of exceptions to the rule or something like that, but most churches that I know or I have ever been a part of have a Sunday morning gathering, right? But it is a huge part of the Christian life. So Sunday mornings are, are, are about our devotion to the teaching and to fellowship. So Acts 2, 42 through 44, and then we'll look at verse 46 also. That's Acts 2, 42 through 44, and then verse 46. It says, "...they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer." Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. So that's the scriptural model saying, hey, why is this biblical? Why should we meet? There you go. They met often. They met together. They met weekly. They, they, they continued to meet together. Okay? So perhaps Sundays, you know, uh, are, are replacing some of the other areas in our lives that we so desperately need in our lives to thrive as believers in Christ. So the other categories, when we look at it, it's fellowship. It's our personal devotion, it's discipleship, and it's outreach. Okay, I'm going to continue to unpack those as we move forward. So we can't let Sundays be the only time during the week that we focus on the Lord and unite together as the family of God. So how do we focus on how we're doing? What does your life look like Monday through Saturday? You know, what type of spiritual things are you doing? What type of things are you investing your time in? You know, but, you know, some of us say, well, brother, I'm working 80 hours a week. And Well, if God has off, you know, called you to do that job, there still has to be a balance that he sees where you can still have time for him. Would He have blessed you with that job, a job that would totally override your whole life and you wouldn't have time for Him or fellowship or community or your family? You think He would ask you and give you a blessing that would replace that thing? Now, if some of you believe that those jobs are gifts from God, you need to make sure you're very strict and disciplined with how you manage your time. That means maybe getting up early. Maybe that means going to bed earlier. It means when you get home, spend time with your family. You know, let's not just let's just not cover it all and say, Oh, wait, I've been working all day. Ah, leave me alone. Get out of my, you know, close the door, kick your shoes off. You know, been there done that. Right? We need we need to have that engagement. We need to have that big picture mentality. Okay. So we can't let Sundays be the only time during the week that we focus on the Lord. Okay? There has to be more to the Christian life than just Sundays. Like I said, this is the train of thought that got me all to where we are today. Okay? So Sunday mornings. So we know what Sunday mornings are. We live Sunday mornings, right? I'm not going to talk about that anymore. Okay, we're good? So let's put Sunday mornings over here. So let's keep looking. So we looked at personal devotion. Now we're going to look at fellowship. Okay, so I want to make sure that you are aware that we are a fellowshipping church. We know how to fellowship. If we say we're getting together and we have food, we can't keep people away. That's the, gold, that's the golden formula. And then I found out this last time, if you have volleyball and you have kickball and you have sports, oh, you just up the ante. We will be there. We don't care if it's raining or we're running through the water. We will play volleyball, right? So, so we, we, are, we are a church that does a good job fellowshipping. But when I talk about this 15%, remember, I don't want to focus on Sundays. I want to take that out of the equation. So what else would I take out of the equation? The things that the church put on. So like that Memorial Day celebration where a lot of you are a part of, let's take that out of the equation. You can't, you can't use that as your fellowship 15%. That's something the church is doing. That's something we're being intentional about. So this fellowship that I'm talking about is outside of the Sunday mornings or the church-driven functions, right? Now, now some of that is going to overlap when we talk about life groups, different things like that. But, you know, we can't allow fellowship, the fellowship that we experience on Sundays or events that the church schedules to replace the fellowship that God desires us to have outside the church with other members in the body of Christ, Some of us don't have any relationship outside the four walls of the church. We come together and we're like, oh, man, so good to be around you, man. I just love you. Man, I wish we could spend more time together and then see you next Sunday. Do we really mean that and are we pursuing that to have continual fellowship as we go forward? Or do we just starve ourselves of that fellowship until Sundays again? So how much fellowship are you being part of with other members of the church during Monday through Saturday? Now, I think some of you are doing well. I think some of you are being intentional about getting together, hanging out with each other, you know, spending life together. But I think some of us are doing a poor job, and we need to, we need to get better at that. You know, some of us are truly starving for true, deep, and close fellowship with others. But we were built for relationship, and the deep, intimate relationship that God desires for us all to experience is often found outside the church walls. Now, the Sunday morning is still important. I want to make sure you hear me. Don't say, I ain't going to go to church on Sundays. I'm going to hang out with church family during the week. That's what Pastor Noe said. It's not what I said. Right? So don't trade one for the other. You need both. You need Sundays, and you need fellowship throughout the week. Okay, so 15% got to have some fellowship involved in there. Next category, discipleship, you need a 15%, okay? So Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. this is what, what Jesus said. He says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Verse 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So when we say the definition of discipleship, just so we can kind of be all on the same playing field when we say the word disciple. So a disciple is a person who continues in God's word until they experience freedom. Well, how long I got to be a disciple? Until you experience freedom. Some get a little quicker, some get a little later, but it's effective if we stick with it long enough. Okay, so discipleship is not just a suggestion, but it was a commission and a command. So that's why, as a pastor, I'm taking it so personal because I said, are we a church that is growing and raising up disciples? You know, me and the elders met, and we talked about it, and we felt like we were not doing as good of a job as we needed to be with discipleship. You know, I know when I first took over, that was one of the things that I was really working towards is really growing mature Christians, that there would be growth, that people would be maturing that we wouldn't have a church full of spiritual infants. Because I don't think that's God's best for the church. Now, is there always going to be infants among us? Absolutely. But what the heck good is it? I mean, you, if you, how many of you have served in the nursery? Okay. How is it when you got a lot of little ones that can't talk, they can't speak, and, all they, and, and they, had a, they didn't get good sleep, so they got a bad attitude also just fumbling around each other somebody takes something from them they get mad they bite them they scream i mean it's just it's just crazy so i i'm always super glad when there's not a ton of them all that same age group it's utter chaos right what if the church looked like that you'd be like well that would i wouldn't want to be at that church i wouldn't want to pastor that church you know we so but there there's that process of where babies are going to be a part of a healthy evolution guys But we can't let them remain infants forever. So when we talk about spiritually, I think, you know, a a, a good biblical model and a system that is working efficiently is that we take those infants, those babies, and they grow on to adolescence and adulthood, and they become great, mighty men and women of God. That's my heart in this whole process, right? But discipleship has to be intentional, but it was a commission and a command. Jesus said, go and make, not well if you want or if it's convenient. He said, go and make. He said, put the work in. Do whatever it takes. So what was he, what was he telling them? He, was, he, said, you know, uh, he, he said, you know, teaching them everything that I have commanded you. Well, that takes a long time, guys. To explain to them everything that I've commanded. Now, Jesus made it simple for us, and he said, I'm going to take all of the law, and I'm going to punch it into two things, loving God and loving people. Well, Pastor Noe, is this biblical? Well, is it loving God and loving people? Well, no. Well, then it's probably not biblical, We got to look at it in that light. He simplified it, but what's the what's the nugget there? True love. Sometimes we'll water down love and be like, I love them, but I kind of hate them. Whatever, you know, like that's that's our mentality. You know, like it's it's like I'm just going through the motions, but my heart isn't for them. But God has simplified it, but He's also called us to be a church of discipleship. I I want I want to be a church that raises up people where we're training up preachers and teachers and, and, and mighty men and women of God. You know, I said this would be the coolest thing. If we had such a good system to where people, we were raising up pastors and teachers in the house and, you know, when people would show up, they'd scratch your head and say, well, who the heck is the pastor here? Because all of the giftings and callings within you are being cultivated and you are being released in what God has called you to be. Now, will I be involved? Yes. You know, I'm not just saying I, my, my job is like, you know, sit there and say, oh, it's an easy job now because it, it's, it's seeing the big picture. It's cultivating the results we want in the life and the body of Christ. But it takes work. It says, make disciples. If we just sit here and we passively do nothing, we will receive and accomplish nothing. But if we put our hands to the plow, perhaps we can cultivate some pretty cool stuff. Amen? So the disciples, you know, they were the ones who were committed not just to believing in Christ, but to following him. They left everything. So this is the process in which we grow in the Lord, is a following process so it's about going, making, baptizing, teaching individuals to obey all that God has commanded in his word. So discipleship is one of the hardest things to accomplish in the church because of the level of commitment and the time that it takes to truly become a disciple. Jesus invested three years of his life in his disciples directly, and there were times that they were still rough around the edges. I'm sure there were still some, some ugly, it's just like, man, these are the disciples? They're uneducated, unlearned. They look like a bunch of bums. Like they're fishermen. You know, fishermen don't have, you know, suit and tie and look like what we would expect disciples to look like. But it was based on their heart. It was based on their purpose. It was based on their calling and the ability to follow the master. At any of those times, they could have said, nah, it's too hard. It's too difficult. And there were people all through the word that did that. They said, oh, your teaching is too hard, Lord. And many walked away. So discipleship has to be a part of that. So as a church, we're modeling how, how we are doing, do, doing this. So our goal is to achieve this through life groups, doing, doing ministry in homes. You know, So we're moving in the home so we can truly challenge each other to be all that God has called us to be. Sometimes when it's a big group, it's not like that easy to be transparent and real or to talk about specific things. You know, or sometimes we don't want to say, well, I don't even know what Pastor Know is talking about, but I didn't want to ask that, ask that in the middle of everybody. But in life groups, we can do that. We can say, well, what do you not understand? Hey, let's look at that. Let's, let's focus on these things. We can customize the fit to get the best results possible. So with life groups, my heart is to keep them small, to keep them intimate, to where there is trust amongst the group, but there's also growth and there's accountability and there's this process. Our ultimate goal of life groups going forward is discipleship. They're saying, Pastor Noe, that's radical, and a lot of this content you're telling the life group leaders to share with us, it's hard questions. My goal is discipleship, not just fellowship, because we are a fellowship in church. And I know in the past, sometimes we've stayed on that fringe of just having fellowship and not accomplishing discipleship. But, but in all of these, if you look at, if you look at this, this uh, pie chart as, as we go through it, all of these things intertwine. Personal discipleship is going is to affect your discipleship walk. You can't just show up on life groups and be like, all right, I'm ready to be a disciple. It's a good thing I went to church Sunday because that's all I did this week. No, come on. Like everything has to fit together from fellowship to Sunday mornings to discipleship. Okay? So, so meeting in homes fosters intimacy, family, and community by God's design and offers the opportunity to be less formal and more real. I'm going to read that one more time. Meeting in homes fosters intimacy, family, and community by God's design and offers the opportunity to be less formal and more real, okay? So our goal and our hope is that, that this is where discipleship will happen, okay? Next, next part, 15% outreach. Now, you've heard me talking about this a lot lately. Outreach, what are we doing outside the four walls of the church? How can we be involved in the community? So I believe that outreach uh, is done by, by, by doing things outside the four walls of the church. So we started to stream our services, which is definitely a part of the church's goal to impact those outside the church. But I think the best way to explain outreach in a nutshell is meeting a practical need and sharing the love of God in a tangible way That people know they are loved and important to God. Do you guys hear that? Or was that just like, I dozed for just a minute. Please repeat it. I know I'm I'm punching y'all with a ton of stuff. But say it one more time, okay? So it is is meeting the practical needs and sharing the love of God in a tangible, a way they can grasp, a tangible way uh, that, that people know they are loved and important to God. Matthew 25, 34 through 40. I'm going to read this to you. Matthew 25, 34 through 40. It says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you <clears throat> since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Verse 37, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and we clothed you? When were you sick and when were you in prison and when did we go and visit you? And in verse 40, this is what he says, the king replied to them. He says, I tell you the truth. Whenever you did, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. So what is he saying? You know, the principle by which mankind will be judged is by this, by how your treatment was for those who were hungry, homeless, poor, diseased, and imprisoned. Social concern cannot biblically be divorced from the Christian walk. You can't say, I'm a Christian and I don't care about all these people. I don't care about practical needs. I don't pe- care about the poor community in our town. You can't separate the two guys. But when we love those, we're truly loving Christ. So how we treat others, in essence, is how we are treating God. We treat others like we would want to be treated. Everybody knows that. Mama taught that by the time we were four. Well, you don't like that? Treat them how you'd want to be treated. Right? Proverbs nineteen seventeen. He says, he who is kind to the poor and lends to the Lord, uh, he will reward him for what he has done. So outreach, guys, should be a product of our relationship with the Lord. We should love others because, because God loves them, and I love those whom God loves. That should be a byproduct. You know what, what's, the, what's the greatest byproduct of a transformed life or somebody who has given their life to the Lord? Hope they start loving people. Now, that doesn't mean we agree with everybody's How they, that doesn't mean that we justify sin, but we begin to love people. And we see people as a lost soul in need of saving rather than just the sin that we have all become. Got to allow God to be involved in that process. I'm not going to read this whole thing, but James 2, 14 through 26 talks about faith and deeds. You know, without a relationship with God, all your deeds are as filthy rags, guys. You know, versus treasures in heaven. So when it talks about, you know, your deeds are as filthy rags, that's in Isaiah 64, 6. But we have to understand that no good things come from us, but only through Christ. So if there is some good merit within you, man, you got to give God credit because that you did not Conjure that up on your own by yourself. We are all as filthy rags apart from the grace of God changing our life. So perhaps this morning you were built for more and you've settled for less. And knowing that God has, in knowing now that what God has in store for you, it should stir you up to pursue him with new passion and exhilaration. There should be something that begins to kind of just rise up within you to believe for something greater, to believe for something more. So what area is God desiring you to grow in your pursuit of, of, the, of a Christian community? So I'm going I'm to ask you each of these questions specifically, and each of you kind of judge your own heart, your own motives. But how is your devotion life? I'm going to wait. I'm not just going to just run through them because I want you to think about every single one. How is your devotional life? Is it lacking? Is it, is it thriving? Is it dying? Is it non-existent? Is it a priority? Are you attending Sundays faithfully? If you're here, you did good today. But are you doing it faithfully? How are you doing on the days you don't want to go? Are you still coming? Maybe your devotional life was, has been suffering all week and you don't feel worthy to come. You still come. You know, what does your commitment look like? Are you attending Sundays faithfully? Only you can answer that question. Do you practice fellowship outside of Sunday mornings? Now, some of us can answer that pretty quick, the raw reality of it. Some are like, yeah, or I'd like to, but I don't. I wish I could, but I don't. Like, I mean, it's, 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 it's pretty straightforward. Either you do or you don't. Good intentions don't really mean anything here. Are you doing it or are you not? Because I'd love to meet with everybody every week all the time, and, but is that, am I doing No. What am I doing throughout the week to pursue that fellowship with other believers outside of Sunday mornings? Next question, have you ever thought about being discipled or discipling others? Or have you never thought about that? You know, I mean, I know we don't always talk about discipleship. I know we don't always talk about, hey, find someone to disciple or find somebody to disciple you. I mean, the word disciple is just like an old word, like this is just not a normal like some of us call use the word mentoring or you know, you know, give me some guidance, whatever word you want to replace that with. But discipleship is not, you know, it's becoming more like Christ. And so, have you ever thought about being discipled or discipling others? Is outreach something that you are pursuing to practice on a regular basis? You know, is that something, are we outreach-minded? Are we looking for opportunities to be involved in the community? Are we just so nearsighted that we just focus on me, myself, and I? My fellowship, my church, my things. are Are we being any impact to the kingdom? Maybe yes, maybe no. I believe God is divinely putting people in your path that you can influence and you can encourage on a regular basis, but to those who are nearsighted and are not looking for that opportunity for outreach, we're going to miss those things. In closing, are you are you helping to fulfill uh, the fulfill the church's mission and vision? And some of you know it, some of you don't. But our church's mission is to be a home. You know, to, to be to have to have a heart of a servant, to be open open arms, to have to be to have a mission in mind, and that E stands for you know equipping and empowering. That's that's the process we want to be a home. And then secondly, our vision statement says says bringing all people into a real relationship with God by knowing, growing, and going towards God's given purpose. I've said that more than once. When we look at that process, that knowing, growing, and going, that going, is, it to me, is the pinnacle of discipleship. You have now become a disciple, and you are now going to do all that God has called you to. It's a progression. So let's ask God to continually to build the church to be all that he's called it to be. As we focus on devotion, Sunday services, fellowship, discipleship, and outreach. You guys stand with me, and we'll get out of here. All of these areas are important, guys. You know, as, as I looked, go back to that chart for me one more time real quick, Elizabeth. As I look at all of those, I, I prayed and I looked at this. I said, God, is there anything we can remove from that? Is there anything that we can add to that? And I pray that if there's more to it, that God would show it to us. But I believe if we know what we're looking for and there's certain areas that we want to focus on, we can kind of grade ourselves, right? If we know this is what the test is going to look like and this is how much it counts, we can begin to evaluate, hey, are we doing any outreach? Well, no, minus 15% of our grade. Are we pursuing discipleship? Well, no. So that's already 30 away. Man, you're almost failing now if you just take those two out of there, right? Fellowship, Sunday services, and personal devotion. When we look at those, now my wife said, we should add prayer in there. I said, listen, baby, prayer is saturated through all of that. I shouldn't have to say we need to do prayer too. Prayer should be a part of our devotion life. Prayer should be a part of our Sunday mornings. Prayer should be happening in our fellowship, in our life groups. Prayer should be happening, you know, in our outreach projects that we do outside the four. I mean, it's going to be all through it. So I said, it doesn't need its case. It's going to be woven through all of that. So I really believe that everything points back to these five things. And if we can really focus on all five of these and build a church that focuses on all of these, I really believe that we will be doing all that God has asked us to do. You asked me, are you sure? I said, nope, but I feel that's where the Lord's leading us. Is it a season? I don't know. Is it a complete transformation of how we do church? Possibly. I believe that God shows us the pillars of the house that need to be established before we start building. And I believe that this just gives us a little bit of clarity in the direction we're going. Are there a few of these that point out to you specifically, like, yeah, I need a little bit more of that in my life. Or, hey, I've never even thought about that. I believe some in this room have really taken the bait that you are thriving and surviving by Sunday mornings alone and you're not having a personal discipleship or a personal devotion time with the Lord throughout the week. And God, by His Spirit, He says, I want to change that in your life. I want you to be thriving in every single one of these areas so that you can be in this life all that I've called you to be. When we ask the question, is there really more to this? Absolutely. You were built for more. And God is saying, Hey, come follow me. I'll accomplish great things among you. I'll do things in your life that you never would think would happen. I will call you to accomplish things that maybe your parents or your friends said, Oh, you're not going to come, you're not going to amount to any good. But that was the voice of the enemy speaking over your life, not the voice of the Lord, declaring mighty and great things over you. Amen. So, Father, I thank you for each one in this house this morning, Lord. Father God, I ask that you would cause us to be all that you've called us to be. Father, I know that you set a high standard for us. Father, but you've called us to lead and not to be passive. So, Father, I pray as we take it very serious with those things that you show us, Father, that we would each individually commit to you in a new, fresh way. Father, I thank you for church community because, Father, that is the tool that you have given us to allow us to be all that you've called us to be. Father, continue to open our eyes to see the church as you see it. Father, if we ever get off the mark and we start building something that is contrary to your heart, Father, please quickly bring correction and show us what we need to do to be all that you've called us to be as the body of Christ. Father, as we go from this place, Lord, I pray that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus and your voice that speaks forth love and hope to a world in need. Father, we trust you. We love you. Our eyes are fixed on you. And Father, we know that your plans towards us are great, that you have given us a hope and a future. But we have to have our eyes fixed on you. So bring our focus back to you as we follow and pursue all that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.